Well, we are still in the Gospel of John, and uh, we're really just cranking away. We're in chapter 2. This is part 5, so you can see we're moving right along. I love the scripture. It says um, in John chapter 20, verse 31, and this is kind of our theme scripture. This was written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. This is why we're studying the Gospel of John. I so desperately want you to have tools. Tools to be able to do exactly what Stephanie just challenged you with this morning, to share your faith with others. That's what the mandate was, wasn't it? From Jesus himself, he says, go into all the world and make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. That's all of our mandates. And the Gospel of John was written so that we may have the tools necessary to do that. We, um, last week we talked about created to connect. We talked about barriers that, that kept the people that were in the outer court from coming to God. And the first barrier that we talked about was condemnation. Today we're going to get to the second barrier. I'm really going to talk today about the love of money. And uh, this is something that a lot of pastors shy away from, and I have to admit this is not a, a subject that I just can't wait to talk about, and yet it is one of the subjects that Jesus talks most about. The love of money. I remember I was 19 years old, 32 years ago, and I remember uh, our church was, um, was without a, a minister, and this was in East Wenatchee, and, and uh, they had asked me if I would preach for them. And uh, the thought of that terrified me, but I knew that the Lord had called me to speak primarily to teenagers. He'd called me to work with young people. But um, I knew that God had called me to preach. And so at 19 years old, just a year and a half prior, I'd lost the woman that I thought I would marry. And my life went into a tailspin. And for a year and a half, I, I circled the drain, really, and thought it was over for me. And then God brought me out of the depths of the pit, and he restored me to my calling. Maybe some of you know what that's like. But I came back and I said, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I bowed my knee and I said, whatever you want me to do. So at 19, I remember getting up in this church in East Wenatchee where New Song Church is now, and I I preached. And I still have the note card from that sermon. As a matter of fact, um, they asked me to speak every week until the new minister showed up. And it was uh, not long after I preached that first message, and and by the way, these messages were certainly not some profound oratories, you know, uh, uh, preaching. They were note cards, and I might have preached for 10 minutes. You know, I thought I had like a 30-minute message, and I, I think I spoke for 10 minutes. And God bless this congregation. They, they were, um, the average age was about 65, and there was about a dozen of them. And they sat there, and they looked at me, and they listened to me with intensity, and 
I spoke for like seven minutes. And they just thought, you know, they just made me feel so good. And then I remember after the message, uh, one of the elders came up and he handed me an envelope. And uh, I, I just said, oh, thank you. And uh, I said, uh, he said, go ahead and you can open it. And I opened it and it was a check for $50. And it just said, uh, preaching. And I thought, what? What is this? And they said, oh, that's an honorarium. A what? That's, this is what you get when you preach. You get $50. And I, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, I, you're actually paying me to do this? And, and every week I preached, I got $50. And I, I just was stunned that I could talk about Jesus, who is my Lord, my Savior, my best friend, uh, and that someone would actually pay me to do that. And I found myself over the course of several weeks starting to anticipate that paycheck. I, I kind of liked it. I, I, at the time, I was trying to start a T-shirt company, and I was averaging about 25 cents an hour. So this was a great paycheck for me. And then it wasn't long after um, maybe a year, year and a half, that that church went through some real turmoil. They finally got their minister, but wasn't what they wanted, and the church ended up splitting and um, dissolving. And I was left with, without a church home. And I remember feeling called to the youth of our valley, so I, I went around to different churches trying to elicit support for a youth center in the Wenatchee Valley. And I uh, congregated a group of, of people that had like minds uh, to do the same thing, and we prayed, and we went to churches and asked for support. And I came to Christ Center, and I talked to Pastor Paul Williams. And he says, you know, what's interesting is we have a youth building, but we don't have anyone to actually facilitate it and run it. Would you consider being our youth pastor? And he said, we would, we would pay you, and he gave me an amount and the amount wouldn't even, uh, wasn't even the equivalent of um, minimum wage. But for me, making 25 cents an hour at a t-shirt company, I'm like, sign me up. <laughs> the thought that I could get paid to do what I love was unbelievable to me. I certainly didn't do it for the money, but... Over the course of years, the love of money can creep in. And there were times where I actually, when things got difficult and things got hard, I wondered, you know, would I still do this even if I didn't get paid? Even if there wasn't a paycheck, would I still do what God was calling me to do? Well, that was tested. Because several years in, the church went through hard times and they couldn't pay me. And I have to be honest with you, I really wrestled with, should I still do what the Lord has called me to do, even though I'm not getting a paycheck? And I almost quit. I was so close to quitting. I was getting offered other jobs and, and um, other Churches were asking if I would be their youth pastor and they could pay me, but 
But the Lord had not released me from Christ's center. And it was a testing for me. Money is a test for all of us. There's a scripture, Matthew 6, 19 through 21. It says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now why does it say um, that your treasure is it's possible if your treasure is on earth for moth and rust to destroy it. It says that because in, in Jesus' day, the, the precious commodities were precious cloth and precious metals. That's what people gathered to accumulate wealth. And Jesus is saying, in this life, moth will destroy that precious cloth, and rust will destroy that precious metal. So lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. So treasure is defined by that which will survive time. Treasure is, is actually that which will survive our life and go on. That's what true treasure is. That was the point that Jesus was Desperately trying to, to make in the Sermon on the Mount. Spend your life not focusing on that which will rust, that moth will destroy, or that thieves will come in and steal, but pour yourself, invest yourself into that which will survive this life and go into eternity. And that leads us to our text in John chapter 2. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen, sheep, and doves, and the money changers doing business. Now remember, this was the outer court, and there were merchants and money changers that were doing business. People were coming to the Passover, and they were coming, and they would sacrifice. And so they had to buy the sacrifices. But the problem was they brought money from other regions that wouldn't work in the temple. Many of them had images on them, which was, was not currency that could be used in the temple. So they had to exchange their money for money that could be used to buy the sacrifices. So these money changers were charging large amounts of money to just to exchange the money, to get the right kind of money. They were robbing people. Not only that, but then the merchants were selling the sacrifices at inflated cost. So people in this outer court, and by the way, the outer court was where even non-Jewish people who followed Jehovah could come. It was where everyone was welcome to come to seek God. And now it was becoming a place of greed. And that's where Jesus found himself. And when he had made a whip of cords, he drove them out of the temple 
with the sheep and the oxen, and he poured out the changer's money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. And the Gospel of Mark adds this, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. You see, this space, this place was the place to connect with God. It was the place where you could come, you could get yourself right, you could make your sacrifices, and you could connect with God. And there were people there that was creating barriers for people to connect with God. And the barriers that they were creating blocked communication with God. And we talked about last week, the first one was condemnation. Can you imagine coming to this place, this outer court, and wanting to sacrifice so that you would be in right relationship with God, but you couldn't do it because you couldn't even afford it? And how condemned you might feel, how shamed you might feel having to walk away, not being able to communicate with God. And Jesus was enraged that, that people were blocking connection with their heavenly Father. But the second thing was greed. See, the second group of people there, the merchants and the money changers, were greedy. Jesus called them a den of robbers and thieves. I want you to understand the mindset of people in Jesus' day. And so I want to look at another section of Scripture to help you understand how people viewed the wealthy. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and your mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Remember what he said in Matthew chapter 6, where is your treasure? Then come, follow me. Wow, what a statement. Sell everything you have, distribute it to the poor, then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And it says when he heard this, when he heard this, when he heard this, he was sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked him, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Why did they ask Jesus, who then can be saved? If the rich can't be saved, then who 
possibly could be saved. As a matter of fact, in Mark's gospel, when Jesus says, how hard is it for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, the disciples ask him twice, who can be saved then? If the rich can't be saved, who can be saved? In other words, if the rich can't be saved, there's no hope for any of us. What? You see, under the old covenant, sacrifices were necessary for atonement. And who else but the rich could buy as many sacrifices as they needed to be right with God? They could buy the best sacrifices. Not only that, they could sacrifice any time they wanted. They could be in constant connection with God because they were wealthy and they could buy all the sacrifices they needed. And so the disciples were looking at Jesus and saying, if the rich, if the rich can't be saved, if it's difficult for the rich, then how is there any hope for all of us? And if you were poor... If you didn't have much, it was harder for you to buy sacrifices. Even though there were allowances for the poor, it was still difficult. If you had nothing, how could you buy a sacrifice? And so many people lived in poverty. Don't you understand that the sacrifices were pointing to Jesus? They were never meant to be the answer. They were not perfect. And so people who couldn't sacrifice felt like they couldn't connect with God. And here you have these merchants and these money changers out of greed denying people access to God. Because if the rich can't be saved, then how can any of us be saved? Peter said to him, now remember, the rich young ruler left. He was sad. Remember, it says he was greatly saddened and he walked away. He didn't hear the rest of the dialogue. He didn't hear the rest of the conversation. Peter said to him, we have left all to follow you. We've left everything. And here's what Jesus said. And this is what the rich young ruler never heard because he walked away. He said, truly, I tell you, no one has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come. Peter's like, that's right. <laughs> I knew it. You're my man. <laughs> the rich young ruler never heard that. He never heard that if you give everything to the poor, if you abandon all and follow me, hey, you will get blessing not only in this life, but in the age to come. You see, he didn't hear it. Jesus was offering him to be number 13 disciple. Sell all you have, distribute it to the poor, come and follow me. And he left sad 
because he loved his stuff. The rich young ruler and the money changers and the merchants, they had one thing in common. They believed that stuff will make them happy. And by stuff, I, I mean this. I mean finances, property, things, toys, influence, power. Stuff will make you happy. At some level, those merchants, the money changers, the rich young ruler believed that stuff would make them happy. And I want you to understand this text of Scripture is not God versus stuff. That's not the issue. See, the issue is how you hold your stuff. That was the issue. The issue wasn't that you had stuff. The issue wasn't that you had money because there were many disciples that followed Jesus that had money and Jesus never condemned them for it. But there's two ways to hold your stuff. Here's how the money changers, the merchants, and the rich young ruler held their stuff. It was clenched, arms to their chest, holding it tightly. That's how they held their stuff. And Jesus said, you see, it's not that you have stuff, it's how you hold your stuff. You hold your stuff with open hands, extended outward. That's how you hold your stuff. That's where the blessing comes. And you see, all of us have stuff. I mean, we live in America. We have stuff. We have influence. We have power. We have toys. We have money. So much more than most of the world. How are we holding our stuff? Are we like the merchants clinging to our chest, holding our stuff? Or are we holding our arms out, extended, open-handed. You see, the sad reality is he didn't just possess his possessions, but his possessions possessed him. And that is true for so many people. As a matter of fact, I would say that a lot of the issues that we even see in our country right now are because of greed, because of systems that are in place because of greed, because of clinging and holding to stuff. Jesus spoke so much about stuff, so much about clinging and how you hold on to it. See, the rich young ruler left too early. What he didn't hear was, truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that? That if you were to Surrender your stuff, that there would be a blessing. Jesus was not trying to change what the rich young ruler held. He was trying to change how he held it. You see, this is our choice. We either live open-handed, unlike the rich young ruler and the money changers. We live open-handed, or we live close-handed. Clinging, holding. What's interesting is 
Jesus sat there, and he saw the, the poor show up to the outer court. And he saw them walk in with not hardly anything. And he saw these robbers and thieves that were called merchants and money changers blocking their way to connecting with God. And it said he started to fashion whips. God takes this so serious. What we do with our stuff. God has a prescription for how we are to live open-handed. I call them the three P's of how we are to live open-handed. And the first P is transfer possession of everything to the Lord. Give it to the Lord. Everything you have, do you think you earned it? Do you think you deserved it? Do you think that you fought for it? Every gift we have, if we believe the Bible, every gift we have is from the Lord, everyone. None of you can be my disciples unless you give up all that you possess. Transfer possessions, everything you have to the Lord. Pastor Paul Williams pastored here um, for many years, was my pastor. And he used to say, um, when I, I got a ding on my car or where I had just acquired something new and, and I dropped it and there was some kind of defect on it, he used to say, that's a mark of ownership. What? Yeah, when you look at that, that dent on your car, let it be a reminder that that's not really your car. It's God's car. It really changed how I looked at things. You see, everything we own is from the Lord. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. I think of Judas. Judas, who started out, Probably like most all of us, loving Jesus, wanting to follow him, excited to be part of the team, excited to serve the Lord. He went out, it says, they were sent out two by two and cast out demons and healed many people. And he trusted. But somewhere along the line, the love of stuff, the love of money entered in. And it says he became a thief. And it says right here, 1 Timothy 6.10, for the love of money, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. I want to encourage you, transfer everything you have to the Lord. It's his. Live open-handed. Let him do with it what he wants to do with it. Truly acknowledge that everything you possess is God. It's all his. Transfer every possession you have to the Lord. And number two, be faithful in your percentage giving. What do you mean? Well, the Bible says give 10% to the Lord. As a matter of fact, before the law was even given, Moses gave 10%. Genesis 14, 20. Jacob gave 10%. Genesis 28, 20. That's giving your first fruit to the Lord. 
The, the law prescribed 10%, Leviticus 27.30. Proverbs 3 says that honor the Lord with the first part of your income. Then your barns will be filled and overflowing. And maybe you say, well, that's, that's Old Testament. But if you look at Hebrews, when uh, the author of Hebrews recounts the story of Moses and Melchizedek, he says, give 10%. As a matter of fact, the very word tithe, dekate in the Greek, means one-tenth of what you have. That's called tithing. That is, does God need your tithe? Is he broke? Does he kind of down on his luck and he, he needs it? No, but you need it. You need to give it because it is a discipline that will keep you from the love of money. Now, Jesus sat opposite the treasury, so Jesus was in church, and he sat opposite the treasury, and he, he saw how people put money into the treasury, and many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which make a quadrants. So he called his disciples, said, hey, hey, come here, everyone come here. And he said, did you see that? No, see what, Jesus, see what? Did you see what the widow put in there? Uh, no, what? She put in two mites. They're like, yeah. No, don't you understand? Everyone else, everyone else gave out of their abundance. But she gave out of her poverty. She gave everything she had, her whole livelihood. Now, I don't know what kind of a blessing she got for it. The Bible says we get a blessing when we give. But I'll tell you this, she got a blessing for it. I'm not saying it was financial, but she got a blessing for the way that she gave. I remember um, when I had just started working at Christ Center, and I couldn't rub two pennies together. I mean, we were, we didn't have anything. We just came to Christ Center. I tried to start a t-shirt business, didn't really work out that well. And um, we had a Christmas party at the golf course in Leavenworth, the Christ Center Christmas party. And I show up, and I don't know many people at this point. I don't know a lot of folks at Christ Center, and so I'm just trying to get to know people and, and trying to strike up conversations. And I go over to this gentleman, and I, I say, that is, uh, I go, hi, my name's Steve. He goes, oh, hi, I'm, my name's George. And I go, uh, George, that is an amazing leather jacket. I, that is just incredible. And he goes, oh, hey, here, try it on. And so I tried it on, and it was worth hundreds of dollars. And I said, this, yeah, this is awesome. And he goes, it's yours. I went, what? He goes, no, it, it's yours. I go, those are some great shoes, too. No, I didn't say that. But, but I did what probably most of you would have done. I, I took off the jacket. I started to take off the jacket to hand it back to him. I did. I took it off, and I, I said, I can't, I can't take this. No one had ever done that for me before, literally given me uh, hundreds of dollars. No way. I couldn't receive it. I couldn't take it. It was way too generous. And I gave it back to him. And he, he stopped me halfway, and he put his hands on mine. He says, no. He goes, I want you to have it. And I took it back, and I put it on. 
That's what tithing is. It's when I received it the second time, it was really mine. Did you hear that? When I received it the second time, it was really mine. When I received it the first time, it was way too generous. I couldn't imagine taking it. I couldn't imagine he could be serious about me taking it. And so I tried to give it back. And when he gave it to me the second time, it was really mine. I really felt like I I could have it. Because I was willing to give it back. I was willing to give it up. That's what tithing is. Tithing is saying... No, I, this is, God, you're way too generous. You've given me life. You've given me breath. You've given me a house. You've given me a family. You've given me all these things. I can't, I can't. And you give it back to God. That's 10%. That's your, your first fruits of your increase. That's, that's giving it back to the Lord. It's acknowledging that it's coming from him. It's refusing to cling. And then it says in the Bible that God gives it back to you. He gives it back to you. Better than when you got it before. Pressed down, pushed together, and overflowing. He gives it back. And you have it, you have it in a way that you never had it when he first gave it to you. Same thing happened to Abraham and Isaac. Abraham was given this great gift. A son in his old age. Blood of his blood that he was willing to give it back to the Lord. He was willing to sacrifice him. And God gave him back his son in a way he never had it the first time because he was willing to give up everything. Tithing is a discipline that keeps us from clinging to stuff, to things, to money. It is the act of faith that says, I put my complete trust in God. And in God alone. Jesus has said this, and, and we either believe it or we don't, but he said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Give and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. That's what Jesus said. Now, maybe it won't be given back to you. I, I'm not one of these people that say, hey, if you give, you can't outgive God, give, and he's going to give you more money back. That may be true. But I know this when you are a giver, when you are generous, when you are faithful in your tithe, you will be blessed more than you've given, whether it's emotionally, spiritually, physically, financially. God will be faithful to his word, guaranteed. He will be faithful, and you can count on that. And sometimes you might wonder, and maybe you're surprised sometimes when in the middle of church we say, hey, if you brought your tithe or your gift today, you can leave it in our offering buckets in the back, or you can uh, give on our app or our website. And you might wonder why we take the time to do that. Well, there's two reasons. The first one is because I believe in the cause of Christ Center. I believe in it. 
That's why we plant churches. That's why we establish mission bases, bases in other countries. That's why when there's a disaster, we're among the first to be on scene. That's why people are being baptized next week. That's why we had a couple dozen people saved within the last couple of months because of your faithfulness. That's, that's a, a, a great reason to give. But here's the, the main reason that we give you the opportunity to give. Because if we don't, we are robbing you of a blessing. We're robbing you of a blessing. All I can tell you is this has been borne out in my life and in the life of me and my wife. God will be faithful when you are faithful. Every time, guaranteed, you will be blessed. Now, here's what happened to the rich young ruler. It says that he walked away very sad. He left. And the money changers and the merchants, greed, their greed made others feel like they were not enough. And yet, and yet, Jesus was enough. In him was the power of forgiveness. And yet, they were robbed of that because of the greed of the money changers and the merchants. Greed will work against the kingdom of God every time. Stuff, the accumulation of wealth, the accumulation of things, the accumulation of stuff for this life will work against the kingdom of God in your heart. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And because of it, many have wandered from the faith. Be faithful in giving. And then be faithful in pricey giving. <laughs> What's that? Second Corinthians 8, 1 through 5. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and even beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. You see, this church gave above and beyond what was comfortable for them to give. They gave when it actually cost them something. David said, I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. Be faithful in your free will offerings in your storehouse. That's what pricey giving is. You see, transfer possessions to the Lord. Everything you own, transfer it to God. It's yours, God. Be faithful in your percentage giving. You're giving that first 10% to the Lord. But above and beyond that is something called free will offering and storehouse. Well, what is that? Well, on our budget at the Haney household, we actually have something called the storehouse. So when I give my 10%, I don't give it to Christ Center. And the reason I don't give it to Christ Center is because then I could control it. It's not giving it open-handed to the Lord to use. I give it to our denomination. And I love what our denomination does. I believe in it full and wholeheartedly, but I don't control what happens to it. 
that's tithe. You give it to the Lord. You trust him with it. You don't control it, manipulate it. But a free will offering is when you give it above and beyond your tithe to something that you feel passionate about, where God begins to stir in you something, and you feel that you're supposed to do something about that. You give above and beyond to that. It might be the Benedicts. It might be uh, the building project. It might be whatever. It might be someone that's hurting. But every once in a while, we'll take it. In December, we said, hey, if you want to serve our missionaries in Costa Rica and establish this mission base, then we're going to try to get the, the Benedicts in their home. And many of you gave them above and beyond your tithe towards that. That was an offering. But then what's a storehouse? A storehouse is that which you set aside to be able to bless people when they need it. So we have a storehouse in our budget, and each month we put a certain amount in there. And if there is a need that comes up, we go to our storehouse. And this is biblically represented. As a matter of fact, great leaders kept storehouses. Moses, David, Jesus, they all had storehouses. They all had set aside money that so when there was a need that immediately arose, they could meet that need above and beyond their tithes. Offering are, are those moments above and beyond your tithe when you give towards a specific ministry. Tithe is meant for you to let go of control and trust God. A storehouse or an offering is when you are burdened for something and God says, give. Do you see that this is the opposite of what those merchants and money changers were doing? All they could see was their own greed, their own wealth, what they wanted, their own position in the world. Same with the rich young ruler. They they clung to their stuff. But then you see in Scripture people who gave freely. They lived open-handed. Like the church at Corinth. Or like um, Nicodemus who brought a great amount of perfume and embalming uh, spices to Jesus that would have cost so much. Or Jesus being buried in a rich man's tomb. He freely gave that to the Lord. You see it throughout Scripture, David giving generously above and beyond. Jesus himself. Is there any greater example of giving than Jesus himself who gave? Remember the opposite of giving, open-handed, arms extended, is clinging to your stuff. Jesus could have clung to heaven. He could have clung to unbroken fellowship within the Trinity. He could have clung to no pain, no sickness, no sorrow, no hurt, no betrayal. But he didn't. As a matter of fact, he opened his arms and he gave For God so loved the world that he gave. Just bow your heads for a minute.
When we think about money, then believe me, this is not an easy subject for me to speak on. But I recognize if I don't speak on it, then I am robbing others of a blessing and I am robbing others of a fundamental teaching of Jesus that he was a giver. He was generous. He had a storehouse. And ultimately, Jesus gave his very life for all of us so that we could be forgiven. So today, as we think about how God so loved the world that he gave, perhaps you are here and maybe you are clinging to something, clinging to a, an object or a house or I want to challenge you. Transfer all your possessions to the Lord. Everything you have. You see, you will not give up money. You will not give up property. You will not give up wealth. You will not give up father, mother, brother, sister, children. In which you will not be blessed in this life and in the life to come. But it first means you have to say, God, whatever I have is yours. So in this moment, in the quietness of your heart, would you just transfer all your possessions to the Lord? Just tell him, God, all I have is yours. Just tell him in your own way, however you choose to do so. I give it all to you. And then I would challenge you to, to be faithful in your percentage giving. And maybe you're saying, I just can't even see 10%, but maybe you start with two or one or five. But you say, I, I, I need to be faithful. And I would challenge you, give your 10% to the Lord. You know, I've had times in in our life where you know our food came from the food bank I'm just being real there were many weeks where that's where we got our food but we remained faithful in our tithing and we we were never in want of food somehow it was always provided somehow God always provided for us you see, tithing is that step of faith that says, God, I believe you are God. And I believe there's a blessing for me when I give faithfully. So I challenge you to make that commitment today to tithe your first, from your first fruits at 10%. And then for those of you that have made tithing the habit of your life, Jesus is smiling that you've trusted him so much that you've done that. But maybe for you today, it's saying, I'm going to set aside a storehouse above and beyond my tithe that I'm just going to start putting a percentage of money into that storehouse. And it is available for missionaries. It's available for those in need. It's available whenever there's a burden on my heart. It's there. It's ready. Just like Jesus had their storehouse that Judas robbed from out of his greed. 
but they had a storehouse. Maybe today that's you and you decide, I'm going to set aside a storehouse. And maybe you're here today and you have never heard about a God that loves you so much that he was willing to die for you, that he gave his very life for you. The most precious thing any of us could have, our life. And Jesus gave it freely for you because you, uh, you were sinful. I am sinful. And we cannot save ourselves, but Jesus came, he lived a perfect life, and he died in your place that you could be forgiven and restored to your heavenly Father. And maybe today you would want to put your trust in that Savior, Jesus. Just pray this simple prayer. Jesus, I receive your free gift of forgiveness today and your grace. I receive your salvation. Thank you for dying for me on the cross so that I could live for eternity with you in a place that there would be no more suffering and no more death, no more wars and sorrow, no more pain, no more hurt. Thank you. I receive it today. And I will follow you faithfully all the rest of my life. If you prayed that prayer, I would love to hear it. Just send me an email at steve at christcentercashmere.com. I'd love to connect with you. And then lastly, maybe you are experiencing an incredible need in your life right now, a financial need. Maybe you've lost a job. Maybe something's come up. Maybe there's a medical bill that you don't know how you're going to pay. You see, God is called Jehovah Jireh our provider. And I want to pray for you. So if that's you today, just slip up a hand. If you have a need, some kind of a financial need or a burden, or maybe it's not even financial, maybe it's emotional, spiritual, physical healing, just slip up your hand. Father, for wherever people are at, whether online, whether they're listening on a podcast later, whether they're in this room, God, I just pray that you would meet the needs that are here. That you would be Jehovah Jireh, our provider. And God, as we humble ourselves under your mighty hand, in due time, you will raise us up. And God, may we remember today that the battle belongs to the Lord. You are mighty to save. And God, we release these burdens into your hands, believing that you will fight our battle. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said, amen. Would you stand and let's worship.